uh, we're going to talk about heaven. And the Bible talks about heaven quite a bit. So here we go. Um, we will live eternally with God in new heavens and a new earth. Does everybody have an outline, a white outline? If you don't have an outline, hold up your hand. Everybody has one. Okay. We live eternally with God in new heavens and a new earth. Christians often speak of living with God in heaven, and that is true. We will. But you know, there's even more than that. The biblical teaching talks about new heavens and a new earth. We get some of that in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 65, 6, 17, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And 2 Peter 3:13, According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Um, now, does that mean that God just vaporizes the present earth like the Death Star did to Alderaan? If you, if you, if you ever watched the first Star Wars movie. Uh, and then really recreates a new one, just kind of different one. I don't think so. I'll get to more reasoning why that, why I think that in a few minutes. I think rather new means the sense of renewed, made new, uh, rather than a complete new creation. Um, we might call it an upgraded um, earth, where, uh, where the uh, things that are broken and not working right because of sin and the fall get fixed. But anyway, it's heavens and earth, all made new. And Revelation 21, 1 to 3, at the end of the Bible, then I saw a new or renewed heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I think that means the, probably the, the, the way they existed formerly, the, first, the earlier state of them. Um, and then it says, the sea was no more. And that's kind of a puzzling statement in the book of Revelation when people first read it. The sea was no more. Wait a minute, you got no oceans on the earth? I don't think it means that. But you picture yourself in the land of Israel in the, uh, in, the, in the first century. Going out onto the Mediterranean Sea was a place of tremendous danger. It was where there was chaos, there were storms, ships would sink out there. And when you travel out on the sea, you'd never know if people would ever come back. Uh, because of the danger of, of sea travel and things. And so I think the sea, in the sense of a place of danger, chaos, and death, was no more that sense of the sea. But uh, there are other passages that speak about uh, water in the new heavens and new earth, a river that flows from God's throne, and it keeps getting deeper and broader as it goes. And, and I think that water is a, a wonderful, and the beauty of oceans is a wonderful part of this earth, uh, and God will make it even better in the age to come. Okay, and then, uh, but that sea, the Mediterranean, the, the, the scary, turbulent, tumultuous sea uh, was no more. And of course, John writing this was on the island of Patmos, out in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, where even uh, that sense would be increased. And then uh, it goes on in Revelation 21. It said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I saw a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So this is John seeing into the future and seeing a, a city prepared by God, a giant, unbelievably magnificent city coming down out of heaven 
to be joined to the renewed earth. Okay, so now let's go into more detail. What is heaven? <clears throat> well, uh, here's a definition. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless or to bring blessing. God is everywhere present. One of his characteristics, a characteristic of deity, is omnipresence. That means God's present here in this room and every place you can go on the earth. Uh, Psalm 139 talks about that. You can't ever go away from God's presence. But throughout the Bible, there is a place where God <clears throat> shows or manifests his presence to bring blessing and to reveal more of himself. It's the focus of his positive activity in the universe and the focus of where he is worshipped. And that's, uh, that's what the Bible calls heaven. And so Isaiah 66, 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Or, speaking of Jesus, 1 Peter 3.22 says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Matthew 6.9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, how would be your name. Uh, so there's a lot of talk about heaven as the place where, where God most fully makes his presence known. Heaven is a place, not just a state of mind. And now I'm going to start down a road that I'm going to continue on for quite a few minutes here. <clears throat> that is the reality of heaven in our space-time universe. It's not just kind of a dream world. It's not kind of a, um, an ethereal, non-physical place. <clears throat> um, why? Well, and again, I could pile up lots of verses from the Bible, but here, Acts 1.11, after Jesus had risen from the dead and he was with his disciples, <clears throat> um, and uh, he was just outside Jerusalem, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them, and then it said he was taken up from them, and a cloud received him from their sight. That is, Jesus was just kind of lifted up from the earth, and he went someplace. And the way that happened was designed to show the disciples that, that he didn't just disappear. He went to a place, and then he, they couldn't see him anymore. And then you just read on a little bit farther in the book of Acts, and, and this first martyr in the early church, Stephen, he's being stoned to death for his witness to Christ. And, and he, says, I, I, he, he says, he gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So <clears throat> it, there was, it was a place. And John 14, 3, before Jesus went back to heaven, he said, behold, he said, oh, he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I'll go and prepare a place for you. And there are other examples in the Bible. The prophet Elijah um, the story in the Old Testament about how he was caught up in a chariot of fire, caught right up to heaven, and his, and his cloak then fell on his successor, Elisha. And uh, back way back in Genesis, it says Enoch was not because God took him. As apparently God took him to be with himself. And so um, I know that some people have said, well, it's just a state of being, it's just a state of happiness or something, but I don't think the Bible supports that idea. 
it supports the idea that heaven is a, a definite place. Now, wait a minute. If it's a place, where is it? Where do you point your telescope to look at it? Well, <clears throat> I think God has just hidden it from our eyes. I, I, I think it exists, but it's just kind of it's um, what happens with these stealth bombers. They're cloaked visually. And I think by some means, God has uh, cloaked it and hidden it from us. But I, I do think it's a definite location where Jesus in his resurrected physical body, now lives. And where our spirits go, if we believe in Jesus, when we die. Number three, when we talk about new heavens and new earth, the physical creation will be renewed and we will continue to live and act in it. Romans 8 19 to 21. Now, we've got to back up, back up, way back to the beginning of the Bible first. Back in the book of Genesis, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was an unbelievably beautiful place with abundant uh, vegetation, food of all sorts that they could eat. Better strawberries than we've ever had. Better oranges than they even grow in Arizona. But they sinned, God kicked them out of the garden, and then God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So not only did the aging and eventually the death process kick in with regard to Adam and Eve, but also God cursed the ground and said, thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. Now when the Bible talks about things like this, often it uses a couple of examples to speak of a general truth. And it doesn't mean just thorns and thistles. It means poison ivy, too. And I think it means bees that sting and hornets and wasps that sting and all the things that are painful and harmful in the creation now that oppose us. Snakes that bite, Sandy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that means that the course of nature was disrupted so that the earth wasn't like the Garden of Eden anymore. Now, look, I like Arizona, and Arizona's beautiful, but it does not look like the Garden of Eden. A lot of it's just dry and not it's you can't go up to a cactus and just start eating things i mean you just i wouldn't advise it so so i think there's lots of thorns and thistles and and um and there's and there are floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes there's something not exactly right with the earth and that came because god changed the earth and the way it works at the time of Adam and Eve's sin. But, but, Paul gives a promise that God's going to undo that when Jesus comes back. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, that's referring back to Genesis 3, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I think we should try to imagine what that would be like if all of a sudden the whole earth had the kind of productivity and abundance and excellence and beauty in it that was there in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. I was out running the other day in our neighborhood and I was looking at this, the rocks and the cactuses. And I just thought, man, I think this could look a lot more beautiful. There's some beauty in it, but it's not what it could be. And um, just you fly on an airplane from Phoenix to Los Angeles. Look out the window. There's it a kind of a beauty to it, but it's brown and dry. And if it all of a sudden just exploded in productivity and beautiful vegetation. And then think what it would be like to eat a strawberry from the Garden of Eden. And you have it all in your backyard. Or a tomato. Or asparagus. Or whatever you like. Peaches. Watermelons. What's your favorite fruit? I don't know. Chocolate. Chocolate. All right. <laughs> of course, chocolate. Why not? Um, so I, I think that would be that, that. That I think there's going to be a beauty far greater than we can imagine when God renews the earth. But what about passages that speak of things on the earth being burned up or destroyed? Because there is that stream of teaching in the Bible, too. Second Peter 3, 10 to 13, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Peter's predicting something in the future here. And then the heavenly bodies will pass away with a roar, and the, heaven, and, uh, oh, the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed... Some translations say burned up here, but the older and better Greek manuscripts have uh, this verb, hurisco, which is exposed, and that's the way uh, the ESV translates it. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be, live and ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of, uh, the day of God, because of which... The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, I think that means there's going to be some kind of unbelievable uh, uh, explosions in the heavens. But I don't think it means the whole earth will be destroyed. I, I think it's preferable to think that these, the earth will be changed and renewed. Why? Because... I think it's difficult to think of God annihilating his original creation. It seems to give the devil the last word by scrapping what God created to be very good. After God finished all his work of creation in Genesis 1, it says, "Behold, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And I don't think God's going to just destroy it all, uh, but I think make it new. And so I think the passages refer to burning up of some of the things on the earth, the evil works that are on it. Um, uh, in its present form, but not its very existence. Okay, but not only do we have a renewed earth, but there's an amazing expectation in the Bible that our resurrection bodies will be part of the renewed creation. The new heavens and new earth will be a place, uh, a, a place for activities for our resurrection bodies, which will never grow old or become weak or ill. And 
and people kind of say, wait a minute, are you sure we're going to have physical bodies? Well, I don't think there's anything unspiritual about a physical world that God made and called very good. And our bodies are part of that. And so there are a lot of passages that talk about uh, our bodies being like Jesus' body was after its resurrection, after his resurrection, that there wasn't any more, um, that he was no longer subject to weakness or sickness or aging or death, but new and strong. And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I don't know if you're hearing Handel's Messiah, but that's a, a famous uh, piece in, in Handel's Messiah. Uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul's saying people who have died, their bodies that have kind of rotted and decayed, they'll be raised imperishable. That means they'll be made new and better than ever before. And then Paul says, and we shall be changed. That is, people who are left on the earth, who are believers in Christ, their bodies will be changed. Now, now look, I think we'll still be sort of like ourselves. I think we'll be like ourselves. But try to imagine your own body upgraded so it's just like you'd want it to be. Perfect, like you'd want it to be. And, and anything that's unattractive or unappealing about your body, that's going to be fixed. So it's really a, it's really a, a, a total upgrade. Uh, I think that's what Paul is saying. Uh, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, that means it's subject to age and aging and weakness, must put on the imperishable. That is, will never be, never grow old or weak again. And this mortal body that will die must put on immortality. It won't ever die. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And that's the promise of the New Testament. But now someone might ask, well, my goodness, what good will it do to have a body in heaven floating around on clouds or something like that? Um, and here I think that we need to correct um, a misunderstanding of what people think of heaven, maybe from movies or just imagination. But I, I, I think with renewed earth and renewed bodies, people will probably work at the whole range of investigation and development of creation through technological, creative, and inventive means, thus showing more and more of the potential of human beings created in the image of God. In fact, most of our enjoyment of what God has made involves our physical bodies. I'm going to talk about this Randy Alcorn book in a few minutes. <clears throat> but... Um, He's, Randy Halcorn has a book called Heaven. Um, he has a little um, comment here that I liked. Talking about the goodness of what God has made and how this isn't unspiritual and it's not wrong to be thankful to God for the material creation because in doing that, we're just thankful to him. So here he says, <clears throat> Picture Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eve says to Adam, isn't this place magnificent? The sun feels so wonderful on my face. The blue sky is gorgeous. These animals are a delight. 
Adam, try this mango. It's delicious. Can you imagine Adam responding, Your focus is all wrong, Eve. You shouldn't think about beauty and refreshment and mouth-watering fruit. All you should think about is God. Adam would never say that, because in thinking about these things, Eve would be thinking about God. See, if God made these things for us, and we enjoy them with thanksgiving in our hearts to God, then, then we're enjoying them with the purpose for which he created them. And if Eve, if Eve gives this mango to Adam and says, hey, this is great. Have you ever tasted a mango before? And Adam tastes the mango and says, wow, that is really good. Thank you, God. See, his heart is just overflowing with discovering one more bit of, of, uh, of the creation in which God has placed us so that we could learn about it and delight in it. And so when God put Adam and Eve on the earth, the first thing he said to them was, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that word subdue means find out how it can be useful for you and enjoyable. And I think that meant discover the fruits and the vegetables, learn about the animals. And I think it meant learn how to make things from the earth, invent things, develop things. I think that was why God put us here. And since he made us as greater than any other creature that he made, he's given us this incredible um, ability to create things. So I think that means they would eventually learn how to build buildings and houses and skyscrapers, I suppose, ultimately, and learn how to ride horses for transportation, all right, and then learn how to have a, a, a buggy behind a horse for transportation, and then I think, eventually, a car. And I don't think Pastor Jamie was criticizing the idea of cars this morning. He was just saying when human beings make them, they make some mistakes, or when they drive them, they make some mistakes. But I, but I think developing cars or planes was part of what God meant when he said, subdue the earth. Make it useful. Make it enjoyable for yourselves. If we do it with thanksgiving to God, then it's a very positive thing. Well, so that means we would be doing a lot of things. We'd be trying different cooking recipes and combinations because of all the variety of things on the earth. We'd try different kinds of clothing to manufacture, trying different kinds of, of sports and games, I suppose. Music is prominent in description of heaven, so I think it's possible, probable. I think it's very likely. In fact, I think it's certain that, that musical activities and artistic activities will be done for the glory of God. And sports, yeah, sure, I think so. And games, I, I, I don't do this so much anymore, but racquetball, touch football, baseball, I mean, some of the most fun times in my life, riding a bike, have been doing those kinds of things. Why would God take that away from us? Why wouldn't he make it even more enjoyable? And since God is infinite and we are finite, I think we can expect that we'll be able to go on learning about God and his creation for all eternity. Hmm. So an excellent book on this topic is Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, published by Tyndall House in 2004. How many people have read this book or know about this book? Oh, lots of you. Okay, I like this book. Um, there's much emphasis in it on, it on the truly physical nature of the new heaven and new earth. Uh, and he says that people think of heaven as only spiritual, kind of floating around on a cloud forever, bored. 
uh, are actually following Plato, Greek philosopher, 427 to 347 B.C. approximately, and, and his Greek philosophy, not the Bible, a totally spiritual, non-physical kind of heaven, Alcorn says, would be boring. And then Alcorn, throughout this book, uses his imagination to think about what the true heaven will be like. And there are many examples, and I'm going to read you some. Is that right? Well, I don't care. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Nick. Um, we were driving to church this morning, and the 101 southbound was closed, and we were on southbound Hayden at the stoplight, and who were we behind? Vic and Vicky in a convertible. <laughs> Why not? Okay. Uh, but, I mean, won't those be fun to have without fear of sunburn? Um, so Alcorn says the Bible has different images for heaven a garden because of the great productivity and abundance and, and delight of it a city and he said if you don't like cities take away all the things you don't like about cities and those will all be gone crime pollution I don't know pornography homeless people bothering you I don't know what else? Smog. Take away all that. Honking horns. Honking horns. No. Take away all that and then imagine the joy of a city where there are just wonderful things to explore and restaurants to eat at and museums to look at and sports activities to go to and, and work to do. And then he says also the Bible pictures it as a kingdom ruled by a king. And then he said, go ahead and use your imagination to think of everything in this world as perfected. Now, Margaret and I were flying back from Minneapolis yesterday, and I was sitting on the airplane thinking, now what would everything in this world be perfected if, this, if I could think of an airplane as perfected? Number one, a little more room in the seat, <laughs> and a little more leg room. And then number two, not so noisy, it'd be quieter. Not, okay. And, and number three... Um, what else? I guess everybody rides first class because there's a lot of room and then nice food and then good friends to talk to. I mean, that would be very nice. Think of everything in this world as perfected. Randy, uh, Randy Elkhorn says, Colossians 3.1 says, set your minds on things above. The Bible commends us to think about these things so it's not wrong. And he says, the earth is just a faint image of heaven. And so, think of sports, of theater and drama, of restaurants of all kinds, of beautiful beaches and mountains to explore and climb, of woods to walk through with birds like you've never imagined, singing with a beauty that they didn't even have on earth, of rivers and streams unpolluted and just fun to float down. Think of nations of the earth and different rulers and different cultures and the nations bringing the glory and excellence of the nations into the heavenly city to, to offer and worship to God. He says when we first get there, it'll be like that old feeling you get when you go back to your childhood home neighborhood and it feels like, oh, I'm home. He talks about going back to the neighborhood where he used to ride a bike growing up as a kid and how 
He just seems like, oh, I'm home when I'm there. He said, that's what it's first going to be like because it's going to seem like I'm where I was supposed to be. I'm where I was made to be. He said, our longing for heaven then is our longing for God and all the excellence and goodness that he wants to give us. Think of enjoying a good meal with friends. Think of enjoying a good book here on earth. That's enjoying God. And then imagine, um, imagine cars that are spacious and beautiful and don't get in accidents. Uh, imagine, um, <laughs> where are you, Duff? Golf courses. Okay, now, now Randy Alcorn says, he heard somebody object, oh, it'll be really boring in heaven because everybody get a hole in one all the time. <laughs> and Alcorn says, no, he doesn't think so because if you take away sin, you still probably have to learn physical skills. See, and, and maybe I still have to have Duff show me how to hold the club and where it Keep this left arm straight on the backswing. And, and, uh, and those, that's a skill that can be learned. And wait a minute, what if I'm not good at archery? Well, maybe I'll take some months to learn archery. See? That is, we can develop skills. and It doesn't mean everybody's going to get a bullseye the first time with a bow and arrow. It means you can, you can learn and develop a physical skill. And I think we can learn other languages. And that doesn't mean we, we know everything all at once, but we have a capacity to learn. So the joy of learning... Think about uh, bike rides where you don't feel, fear getting hurt. Uh, uh, and then what else? Perhaps, Alcorn says, perhaps we'll be able to see new colors. Because ultraviolet and infrared are out there, and you can see them with scientific instruments, but you can't see them with your own physical eyes now. So that would enhance the beauty of the Earth and of things we see more than we could even imagine. Um, those of you who are Scandinavian will be interested in page 297 where he says, what about coffee? He says, why not? If it's a good gift from God. He quotes Jonathan Edwards, the saints will be progressive in knowledge to all eternity so we continue to uh, learn things. Thinks we will work at productive things that are joyful. Um, Said so we'll be able to pick up with relationships that began on earth. Probably retain our current languages, but be able to learn other ones. I mean, this is it's a very interesting picture of a, of, a, of a heavenly existence that all of a sudden becomes really exciting, doesn't it? He says he loves to, to go snorkeling or scuba diving and see the fish of various colors and things. Wouldn't it be exciting to be able to do that? He even mentioned skydiving. I've never tried that, but I guess it would be fun. If you could do it without foolishness to hurt yourself and without fear of harm. Dancing, trade and business, technology and machinery. Hmm. What do you think about that? Okay. Um, um, Don, Far, sorry. Mary Jane's not here, so I can't think of your name. I think of you together. All right. All right. <laughs> okay, Don. Isaiah 65, 17b says, these things will not be remembered nor brought to mind. Yeah. Can you comment on that? Yeah. Let me just see. 65, 17. 
Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I, I think it means the sad things, the harmful things, the, uh, the destructive things. And uh, I don't know if it means we'll never be able to have any factual knowledge of them, but they're not going to come back flooding with sorrow and, and um, just d- d- depression, depressing us, that kind of thing. That the, the new earth is going to be so wonderful that, sh- that you're not going to think about the bad things on earth anymore. I think that's what it means. Okay, good. Let's just talk about this for a few minutes. John? You've got to have a microphone here. We used to have a Bible study at our house, and one night we got in a discussion about what you're talking about. And part of that discussion was rewards. That, and one of the guys, who was a neat old guy, when he built the Bremer Road in the Second World War, or was involved in it, he said, well, if I get to heaven, I'm not going to have any rewards. I'm not going to have anything to do. And I just turned to him and said, and I just like your opinion on what I told him. I said, what's going to happen is returns of rewards. People's resumes on earth are going to give them a place in God's organization. Yep. And some guys will be in charge of countries, and some guys will be in charge of cities, and some guys just might make things. I said, the difference is you're going to have a job, a, a, a meaningful job, however big or little it is, and the difference between being on here being here on earth and there is you're not going to covet somebody else's. Yep. You're going to thoroughly enjoy what you're doing, yep. and you'll have something to do the rest of your life yep. that you will just love, and that's as best I can explain it. Now, I'm, I'm with you 100% comments. on that, John. I think that's right. It's good. Yeah, I think we'll have different responsibilities, but we'll all... But we'll all be doing what we know God made us to do and enjoying it. Joel, you make violins? You like making violins? I don't. (laughs) I couldn't. I know I couldn't because I've tried. That's an unusual skill. And I think you're going to make the most unbelievable violins. Where's the microphone for Joel? Here. <laughs> well, why not? A little commercial. I was just going to say, it's something that I've always felt from a young age that I could always enjoy doing for the rest of my life. Yep. Um, and I, I get great satisfaction in doing it. Good. So. Great, Joel. And, and I think if you ever, after a thousand years or so, decide, you know, I'm just t- tired of this, then I think you have opportunity to switch to something else because we've got eternity. So that'd be great. Pammy? Two things. Um, will there be written test and does spelling count in heaven? <laughs> and and uh, does spelling count? <laughs> and this, and my second thing is okay. uh, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face we shall see and and we shall know as we have been fully known. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, because to me, to think about living in eternity and learning, see, you're a gifted learner. I'm like a school, mm-mm. and so I'm thinking if I got to learn languages, Don't I mean, to. oh, my goodness, yeah, <laughs> that would just be hell for me, you yeah. know? <laughs> 
And uh, so, um, so anyway, I think that, uh, and I, you know, I have the gift of gab, and I don't know that that is is uh, interesting to the Lord, you know. Um, but uh, but anyway, so you you'll you'll have a lot of friends, and they'll all speak English. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is there? Uh, but, but, Pammy, I mean, what you say is, I don't think God's going to ever put us in a situation where he asks us to do things that we're incapable of doing, which just leads to frustration. But we'll have new abilities, too. Well, that's why the yeah, 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 good. Okay, good, good. Okay, okay. Right here. I forgot your name. Dean. The question is about Matthew 22:30, where Jesus has the exchange with the Sadducees about giving and taking in marriage yeah. after the resurrection. Yeah. And, and the point is is that he says that we're going to be like the angels. Yeah. And I'm not really sure what that means. Like we're going to be spiritual or that we're not going to have the need for the physical relations. Uh, or I, I'm not sure what that, yeah. that means. Yeah. So there is that place in Matthew 22 where, 30, yeah. uh, where, where Jesus' opponents were hostile opponents and they were asking him, um, you know, trying to deny that there could be such a thing as this resurrection. And um, they told this story about this woman who her, her husband died and then, and then the next husband died, etc. Whose wife will she be? Jesus said, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Matthew 22:29. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And I think he's explaining now the power of God. Daryl? Okay. For... In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. I, I, I think that the like angels in heaven is just explaining what it means not to marry or be given in marriage. So, and again, Randy Alcorn was, I, I just, I thought his instincts were so good when he brought up questions like this in this book. But he said, um, okay, I think that means that the, the uniqueness and the exclusiveness of the marriage relationship is not going to be there. But he said, he thinks his wife, Nancy, will understand him better and know him better and be closer to him than anybody else. Which I just thought of Margaret, who was sitting in the airplane seat next to me when I was reading this yesterday, and that's true. She knows me better than anybody else in the whole world. And I like that. And I want that to continue. But, but, but the, you don't know the power of God. God hasn't told us any more about that. But, um, and you talked about physical intimacy in marriage. That's a kind of a touchy thing because then how does it... Would, and and Alcorn says, well, okay, because of that passage, it looks like that won't be there. But, but he thinks we'll be male and female. So how does that work out? Don't know. But, but, but then we just say, hey, God has planned for us something better that we don't now understand. And I think it's best to just leave it there. Um, but the, the multiple relationships of joy and friendship that we'll have will be so fulfilling. And so, you know, just sitting with friends at night, looking at the fire, you know, there's a joy in that that's going to be, well, I, I'm not going to go any further there. Okay, Margaret told me a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, Keith had his hand up for a long time and I didn't see him because I was looking over there and I was looking over here. Maybe he didn't. But I'm just going back to the center section because I tend to go from anybody. Okay, Carol, Keith, no, you don't remember what that was. That, okay. Because, uh, a, like a funny thing, my mom used oh, to You have say, to hold that really oh, close. My mom used to say, I don't know about all those gold, streets of gold and all that harp music. Yeah. You know, so 
Streets of gold. Go, streets of gold. I mean, I, that's all part of our... <laughs> i got to use my hands. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to talk with your hands and use the <laughs> microphone. Just use one hand, Carol. <laughs> Carolyn. Half Italian. But anyway, but, you know, I think, well, he, you know, they do... The Bible says streets of gold. Yeah. And then there's going to be all this... She says harp music. and well, She was just yeah. kidding, of yeah. course. But. Yeah. But now, I have a daughter-in-law who's a harpist, so we kind of have a more positive view of harp music, but I think that she'll play the harp, but I don't think everybody's going to play the harp. Um, but um, Streets of Gold is just, I think it's a way of saying more beautiful than you can imagine. More, I mean, incredibly beautiful. And um, so, um, and when John sees these visions, he's saying it's like this, it's like this, it's like he's struggling for words because he can't quite say how amazing it is. Yeah, it's too too difficult to describe. So, okay, last one, Dave, right here, and then I'm going to move on real quick. Tell us about uh, understanding that we might have when we get there. There's all the beautiful things, and, and all of that's wonderful, but part of that is is going to be understanding more, right, about what was going on here. Yes, I think so. Um I'm not sure where I'm going to go in the Bible. I, I maybe just I would need a little more time to look, but I think we will understand a lot of the purposes for things that puzzled us or were difficult or hard in this life now. And we saw hey that God brought good out of that that we didn't know. Um first Peter one uh about verse six or seven, these things will will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the suffering that we've gone through. And so I think that's going to be another part of the joy of heaven, saying, okay, Lord, thank you that you brought good for many people out of this, and good for me and strengthening of me, that I didn't then understand, but I know now it's a part of who I am. So, okay. Well, now, let's see. The new creation will not be timeless, but include an unending succession of moments. Um, because there are things that uh, happen one after another. Revelation 21, the kings of the earth bring their glory into the heavenly city. And uh, there's a, a tree of life uh, yielding its fruit each month, 12 kinds of fruit. Those are things that include sequence of events one after another. I think because we are finite creatures, we will go on and exist in time. Bob, uh, or Mike Mobley gave us a talk on time at one time. Are you okay with time going on forever, Mike? You think that, don't you? No. Ah, shoot. <laughs> okay, you and I are going to talk afterward. If, okay, if God sustains it to go on forever. Good. Okay, I, I agree. Time's the creation. I thought I agreed with you when you talked about time. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, thanks. Okay, doctrine of the new creation provides a great motivation for storing up treasures in heaven. Um, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Because things that we have done to honor God now will have eternal results. And Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Matthew 6. I'm hurrying on here. There'll be great uh, beauty and abundance and joy in the presence of God. And uh, the holy city... Uh, we've talked about that. I'm going to skip over because I'm heading to the end here just for time. Um, but it uh, gets back to what Carolyn was saying, the streets of gold. Well, there are these incredible 
descriptions of beauty of the heavenly city. The city had the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper. What color is that? Gold? Red? Red, okay. Clear as crystal. Had a great high wall with 12 gates. Um, and there's more. The city lies four square. It's length the same as its width. And it's 12,000 stadia. That's 1,400 miles. Is I think it's St. Louis or something, because I think we drove a little farther than that. It is Chicago. 14, Chicago. Okay, here to Chicago. That's a big city. And uh, its length and width. That's a big city if it's if it's square, 1,400 miles square, and height are equal. That's a big elevator. Or that's a big, that's a gigantic city. Just think of the places to explore, the ethnic restaurants to visit, the museums, the sports field. I mean, that's big. Okay. And then uh, we got all sorts of colors of jewels. I'm going to skip over that in Revelation 21. But Revelation 21 and 27, nothing unclean will enter it. That is, nothing that is evil or harmful or sinful or dishonoring to God is going to be in that city. The most important feature of the heavenly city, we will be in the presence of God. And all these things that we enjoy, we'll enjoy with thanksgiving to Him. And then we'll be in His presence. So Psalm 1611, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that will be the greatest joy, of course, of all the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the new heavens and new earth. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That glory of God, that bright light that surrounds the presence of God and lets us know that He is present, that will be diffused throughout the entire, uh, in the entire new heavens and new earth, and specifically in the heavenly city, and will dwell in that. And then it says, <clears throat> the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. We'll be able to look at the face of God. And when we look at the face of God, he'll look back at us. And it won't be with condemnation or judgment, but with joy and delight and approval. And we'll see on his face that he knows all that we have done to honor him and be faithful to him throughout our lives. And we'll see on his face that he takes delight in us and says, I love you and says, I delight in you. Your sins are forgiven. Welcome Enjoy the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.